everybody. What's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris, and today I'm going to go over a list of news stories I've collected over the past few days. Um, just a couple thoughts on this new format of Bible Prophecy Talk. Um, you know, I have often wanted to find a good Bible prophecy news podcast or source of information. And you know, if you've been listening to this show, that um, I have pretty standard views about Bible prophecy as far as it is the big picture. But you know, there are some intricacies that uh, over the years I've sort of developed. And you know, I think the next step is once you have, to the best of your ability, kind of determined what you think the end times will look like, the next step is to kind of keep up with the news. And it's always been a deficiency of mine, even though I like to think of myself as informed about things. Um, I've never really been informed about the actual things I would need to be informed about if I was truly being a watchman about this kind of stuff. And that includes a lot of geopolitical stuff, especially in those areas that I'm not prone to getting news about or really even understanding the conflicts, you know. Um, <clears throat> there's all kinds of wars going on in Africa and uh, in around the Mediterranean and in, in China and Russia. A lot of tensions and, you know, uh, wars about to happen, it seems like. And, you know, there's a lot that I just need to know to even begin understanding what the nature of the conflicts there are. So... I've been kind of excited about uh, aggregating all these news stories and learning about what's going on in the world because I can see this as an opportunity for me to want to learn more uh, about the nature of, you know, Israel or what's going on in Israel, really. And not to look at it through the lens as, you know, your typical, um, I don't know, I'm thinking of like uh, Jimmy DeYoung or something like that, where it's just like, you know, the same old things you've been hearing. Every time you talk about Russia, you have to mention Gog Magog, and, you know, that's going to happen any moment. And I don't really think that that's true. I don't, number one, think Russia is Gog Magog, uh, but rather probably some coalition of nations uh, What in what we would call, a, you know, formerly Assyria, as well as really the entire area to the south as well, and Egypt and whatever. But also, I think that you know, Gog Magog is not likely to be before the 70th week of Daniel. It's most likely either uh, at Armageddon or certainly there is something that's called Gog Magog after the millennium, according to Revelation 20. So, you know, I mean, I'm going to keep an eye out for that kind of stuff. I don't want to like uh, a priori sort of, uh, you know, take something off the table in case, you know, we're, we're wrong. But uh, at the same time, I want to keep up with this, and obviously there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the world that's not directly related to Bible prophecy that could be, you know. I'm really interested in the vaccine, COVID, lockdown, you know, encroachment of communism kind of thing in which, uh, you know, there's any number of news stories every day, and I think it's more interesting to see what's going on there, even though it's maybe not directly related to Bible prophecy, which is nothing new uh, in the Bible prophecy uh, news world, I mean, for whatever it's been since the 70s, Bible prophecy news has basically just been regular news, and then somebody would say some lip service to something Bible prophecy. In addition, I'd also like to keep up with some of the theology about what's going on as well, and, you know, talk about um, things like uh, uh, actual theology related to Bible prophecy and stuff. So some of that will be in here 
as well. Basically, my goal at the end of this is to provide a genuine service of me keeping up and trying to understand the news, particularly the geopolitical stuff, uh, which I feel like I'm pretty deficient in and have a lot of catching up to do. And then to convey that, at least keep you as up to date as I know uh, how to uh, look for, basically. And so I think today I'll start off with some geopolitical stuff. And I think more than just reading some articles, I will probably read some headlines and discuss some of the things that I think about uh, these particular issues. There will certainly be option or opportunities to read the entire article as well. <clears throat> but for example... Just picking one out of the hat here, the uh, Egypt-Ethiopia-Sudan is the escalating language in GERD talks cause for concern. <clears throat> now, there's a lot of news stories out here about potential war between Ethiopia and Egypt, and there's a lot going on here that I need to dig into, but basically the problem is um, Ethiopia is building a huge dam. Now, Ethiopia is very downstream uh, on the Nile. So it's building this dam, uh, you know, on the Nile. And of course, Egypt, basically, the country only really exists around the Nile. I mean, the, the Nile is Egypt and Egypt is the Nile. The only population is right around the Nile. So any kind of dam being built on that has in the past apparently been the cause for war. I mean, in the 70s, I think it was Ethiopia tried to build a dam, but e uh, Egypt threatened war. In this case, Ethiopia says it's not going to cause problems, but the consensus is, yeah, it's probably going to cause problems down the line, especially in the uh, filling of the dam uh, initially. Um, this one isn't this one is interesting mainly, I think, because there's another story within the story here, which is Ethiopia is something I need to really... Uh, I haven't quite dug into this one yet, but there is this huge conflict going on in Ethiopia in what's called the Tigray region, in which um, I think it's basically an ethnic cleansing kind of situation where they're killing all the eth ethnic Tigrayans in Ethiopia. <clears throat> basically, it seems like warlords basically are running Ethiopia. And it's just uh, a killing spree. But I've got more to learn on that, as I say. One of the reasons it first caught my attention is because the place that I think maybe is a good candidate for the Ark of the Covenant, this church in Ethiopia, which uh, you can see more on that from <coughs> uh, the same guy who had the Temple Mount uh, is at the City of David uh, and also did some other stuff too, but uh, Robert Cornuk. Um, anyway, it's a really interesting theory, and it sounds pretty reasonable to me. And this story about this attack on that church, and a lot of people died protecting this church uh, early on. This has been a couple months ago. And the, the news stories about it were almost nil because they weren't letting, allowing press in Ethiopia. So there's a lot of, as I say, catching up to do with that. I think if any one thing <coughs> can, can spiral us into a Bible prophecy related thing it is the discovery of the ark of the covenant <clears throat> and if we're starting to hear of conflict uh in that region specifically around that church then yeah it's something to watch for so but right now all i want to uh introduce to you is this idea that there is certainly talks for war <clears throat> about war between egypt ethiopia and sudan and they're it like they're you know, trying to take it to the United Nations, but uh, everybody's saying, hey, don't take it to the United Nations. They don't have any jurisdiction here. 
Uh, but the idea is that you kind of have to if the next logical step is war. So something to keep an eye on there. President of Chad killed in combat. So Chad is a, uh, a nation in Africa. And so this is an interesting thing. This is mostly a war between Muslims and Christians. Uh, the, the thumbnail here is that there's a lot of nations in Central Africa that have been sort of taken over by uh, Islamic militants, uh, sort of a combination of ISIS and some other militants. And anyway, uh, it's really a bad situation, but it's really in this region that a lot of governments don't have control over. There's not, it's, you know, kind of remote and very poor is where they have this stronghold. And as far as I understand it, um, the the people in Chad are trying to to and other countries in that region are basically constantly in a battle against these Islamic militants, and the president went there and was killed. This is important uh, Bible prophecy wise because Libya is mentioned in um, the wars of the Antichrist in Daniel eleven as a part of the uh, places that he. Uh, eventually subdues and this is all going on in Libya too the, when we'll talk more in the future hopefully about um, these wars you're going to see that Libya is is always usually mentioned as a part of this thing this particular story was mentioned from Mission News Network uh, or Mission Network News headlines uh, because of the Christian component um, David uh, Bogason of Christian Aid Mission says it's a very tense time for Christians in Chad, whom uh, Debbie, the president, treated very well. It's not known what the intention of the rebels were in terms of how they will relate to Christians, but the uncertainty in the political environment is something that is a real concern to Christians because he maintained the peace. That is the president that is now dead. And there have been civil wars between Christians and Muslims in the past. Many have been concerned that Chad could go the way of Sudan, which basically split between Muslims and the North uh, the North and Christians in the South. It was really President Idris that kept the country together, one quote says. Uh, Debbie's death could also jeopardize counterterrorism efforts in the region, uh, etc., etc. So basically instability in Africa is sort of the norm, but um, it seems like it's definitely something to watch if for no other reason then Christian brothers and sisters are now in it basically, and have been apparently for a while, in a fight for their lives, literally. Moving on geopolitically, let's move on to Russia and China. China on the brink of war, as the BBC correspondent uh, predicts military clash in Taiwan. So let's just read a little bit. Tensions between China and the U.S. will continue to blow up, according to the BBC's world affairs editor, John Simpson. He spoke with uh, Professor Raina Mitter from the University of Oxford China Center, who predicted that there will be military clashes that could put the two powers on the brink of war. This comes amid an increase in Chinese military activity near Taiwan. Near Taiwan. Um, BBC News host blah 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 said Joe Biden's first overseas trip in the U.S. as U.S. president will be to the U.K. for the G7 summit in Cornwall in June. Uh, that will be followed by a NATO summit in Brussels as he seeks to reassert American global le leadership amid rising tensions in China and Russia. Uh, in recent, we'll talk about the Ukraine thing in a minute, but it makes mention of that. Basically, all I want to say here is that, you know, we're going to try to follow this China-Taiwan thing because it's really interesting. Now, first of all, the 
basic thumbnail is that Taiwan, which is an island off the coast of China and is very, uh, you know, economically viable place to have, China has always maintained that it's just China. That's the end. Now, the long story short, China, Taiwan was like, when the communist regime took over China, a lot of the people that fought against the communist regime fled to Taiwan. And so they have a very democratic system. They're very sort of, you know, proud of that and anti-China and, you know, have that as a culture in Taiwan. So it's very unlikely that they would be okay with that. Kind of like a Hong Kong situation, although I know less about that or no, I know less about a lot of this stuff. But the point is, uh, China is very strong about this, you know, and they, they take this ultra seriously that no, 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 Taiwan is China. And so recently, it's the thing that's interesting is the U.S. relationship in all this because China's been sending more warships, like basically showing strength around Taiwan. But even that is a really hard thing because if they really, if since Taiwan is opposed to being taken over by China and they have a military and we basically supply Taiwan with military gear, which is a kind of a weird, you know, thing. Well, it's not weird if we oppose China, but it's weird considering that there's this weird sort of agreement with China going on too. And that's kind of what I want to talk about is that the U.S. relationship with China, I think as conservatives, we think, well, you know, you know, old China Joe is just uh, in bed with China. And I certainly think that he is. I certainly think they have all kinds of dirt on him and basically consider him a puppet. And I think poor old Joe's the puppet of everybody in the whole world. I mean, he's just, he's so corrupt and so awful and his family is so corrupt and so awful that probably everybody gets to get a piece of old Joe and everybody's just getting a payday because he is just the worst. But at the same time, China is also openly hostile to this new regime. And I think maybe they're just using it maybe as a sort of, my guess is that either they're genuinely uh, want to show force against America and it is, you know, they want to assert that power. But also it's a PR thing for them. Since they know old Joe ain't going to do anything to China because they got so much dirt on them, they can act tough, they can point fingers, they can assert power and show the world how much more powerful they are than the U.S. knowing that they have them in his back, in back pocket. So it's kind of this weird dichotomy where we see, uh, on the one hand, China openly opposing the U.S. and making strong military language against the U.S. And conservatives are like, what? I thought we were like totally in bed with China. Well, both things can be true. China is using that as a PR thing. And probably, uh, but, but with this Taiwan thing is kind of where the rubber meets the road because if China is going to take over Taiwan, it's probably, I mean, they're acting like it would be soon. And the U.S. response to that would spark either war or not, right? If we bring warships to that situation, then, well, now we're in war with China and the whole world is now in war with everybody else. So if China does take it over and the U.S. does nothing, then it sort of goes with China's sort of assertion of power over the U.S. is my uh, quick take on that. Again, this is all kind of new to me. Uh, I hope to get better at this as we go along. Okay, uh, U.S. considers more weapons shipments to Ukraine amid Russian buildup. This is here less about this story and more about, again, just trying to catch us all up on what's happening geopolitically. So, the Russian-Ukrainian situation, basic thumbnail there, is that 
And I, I don't really know who's right and who's wrong in this situation either. My quick take on it is that Russia is probably wrong, but both sides are saying that uh, they're not the aggressor. So the Ukraine got, after the Soviet Union fell, the Ukraine, which was always part of Russia, uh, became independent. And it was an own, its own country. And it's important because you, the Ukraine is kind of like a big jut of Russia into Europe, basically, you know, the Balkans. So Europe in general it would make Russia all of a sudden a lot closer to Europe and have a lot more influence in Europe if they did actually control the Ukraine. There's also a lot of economic and military reasons that uh, Russia would want to just take over Ukraine. But they have actually been taking over little pieces of Ukraine here and there. There was this little peninsula, which sort of uh, kind of taken over at, the, at this point, but also this huge section of the Ukraine, which they literally annexed. They basically said, okay, we're taking this over. And they did that. I can't remember when they did that. It would, it's been years, not too many years ago. And the reason that they took over that little piece of the Ukraine was because, or ostensibly because, there were Russian, uh, you know, pro-Russian people there. Like, there were enough, enough people that said, we want to be Russian, that, that Russia was like, okay, well, you can be Russian. And so they just took it over and said it was because these people wanted to be Russian. And maybe they did. Maybe it was propaganda. I don't know. Probably a little bit of both. But they did it. So, it, you know, from the Ukraine's perspective, now they're all Russia's also trying to do the same thing for another little important island piece of uh, the Ukraine. From their perspective, Russia is basically trying to take over the Ukraine. So the Ukraine, uh, they're, they're trying to make a lot of alliances right now, especially with Europe. Uh, talks about getting into NATO, I think, is what really sparked a lot of this. Um, because, and from Russia's perspective, if Ukraine becomes a member of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, in which they, it is basically a military pact, the same kind of pact that started World War One, is that if you go to war with them, we'll all go to war with them too. It just, it's a big deal. So, from Russia's perspective, all that is a threat to their national security if, if the Ukraine does that. And uh, so, in, in the last few weeks, Russia has been moving all these troops to the border. And then the news the last couple last couple days has been that Russia brought those troops, you know, back those troops off the border. And really, there seems to be a lot of confusion as to why they did that in the first place. I mean, what was necessarily sparking it? I read one article that said it was basically a show of force against, uh, you know, the Biden administration to basically show that the Biden administration is weak and ineffective and they won't do anything. Maybe so, maybe not. Again, I'm sort of new at this, especially in this conflict. I don't know who's right and who's wrong. So we'll just kind of look at that in future episodes. Um, and I think that about covers it for the geopolitics section of Bible Prophecy Talk. Go to the website, BibleProphecyTalk.com. Um, and let's move on. Uh, and I don't really have a place to put all these articles right now. Um, you know, maybe I will in the future have a situation where I'm linking those in the show notes right now. That's just too much trouble for me right now. So I'm not going to do it. You can look it up if you want to. All right, moving on. Uh, just a couple things on economics. Uh, Bitcoin suffers biggest weekly loss since March 2020. Just about Bitcoin. Um, so I think Bitcoin is a really good idea and I 
own Bitcoin and some other cryptocurrencies, mostly uh, as a hedge against not inflation so much, but a hedge against sort of having a way in case, you know, as a way to sort of pay and get paid if things become illegal. I think it's a decentralized way that's not dependent upon anything uh, that I could still have access to uh, paying and getting paid in the future. And also to be able to support a lot of the people that have the similar mindset. I don't really look at Bitcoin as an investment. I don't think people should. Uh, the reason, and, and while I think that yes, Bitcoin can and probably will go to the moon, there's a lot of things that also concern me about Bitcoin. For example, the incredible pushing of Bitcoin on the mainstream news, the CNBCs of the world and the sort of financial stuff. Every single segment is like, hey, by the way, buy Bitcoin. It's the awesome. That always just, it doesn't sit right with me. I also, while I think that Bitcoin makes sense uh, at some baseline and it may, and that baseline may be really high, I also think there is a ton of hot money in Bitcoin. Um, and I should, should qualify this by saying, there's a lot of trends and forces that are going on that I, I'm, I'm really interested in. So, for example, very recently, a lot of ETFs, which are uh, little packages that make it so institutional investors can invest in Bitcoin, uh, has not really been available until like very recently, like talking about the last couple weeks, maybe. And maybe it's not even fully rolled out yet. But the point is that everybody's kind of knows when that happens and institutional investors can invest you know, just a portion of their investments into Bitcoin and make it easy for them, then it's likely to go to the moon, right? So you've got this force on the one hand, on the one hand, but on the other hand, you have regulatory stuff starting to happen, which was which accounts mostly, I think. There's probably lots of reasons I'm not paying attention to, but but this uh, this drop in Bitcoin of uh, from I think it was like sixty five thousand or whatever it was to now fifty thousand dollars and you know, it's finding a hard time sort of gaining right now. That was because of, I can't remember what it was, but certain countries, maybe it was like, basically there were regulatory countries that saying, look, we're basically outlawing Bitcoin. And I'm probably being a little hyperbolic there, but there was at least talk of that. And in my opinion, that's always the thing that is likely to get the hot money out. You know, and I mean hot money, I mean a lot of people on the you know, Robin Hoods of the world. And look, a lot of people that hold Bitcoin are just long Bitcoin forever. Like, you know, asking people to donate Bitcoin is basically the reason it doesn't happen is because everybody doesn't want to give up their Bitcoin, right? Uh, and by the way, thanks to the person who did donate, uh, uh, they donated $20 and put in the notes and the note, uh, uh, buy your own Ethereum. <laughs> so thanks for that. Uh, and I will. Uh, but anyway, so the hot money is likely to be scared out of it very quickly too. There's so much m people that got convinced to buy Bitcoin that are sitting there with a hair trigger, you know, willing to sell it as soon as anything. And I'm sure a lot of that happened here and probably more of that will happen. If something really does happen the U United States says, by the way, Bitcoin's now illegal. And look, they're all trying to roll out their own cryptocurrencies and you know, it, if Bitcoin is truly a gift to the people, which I kind of lean that it is, uh, though it is also being manipulated and used, um, they're going to make it illegal or try to regulate it to death in some situation, which is going to cause a big loss in terms of its value. I agree with the concept that Bitcoin, at the end of the day, 
uh, has value as long as people say it does. And that's why I hold it. Uh, because I think, you know, I don't care if it drops, I don't have enough in it to, to, to care if it drops to even below a level that I bought it for, because I'm long Bitcoin for a different reason. I'm long Bitcoin as a, a, a in order to be able to um, survive a complete canceling and to be able to support and do some things in that situation. So to me, my that's my look on it. I think you could probably make a lot of money in Bitcoin and have all kinds of strategies in the short term. Because look, when a market is this volatile and th this much volume, there's a lot of money to be made. So anyway, my Bitcoin two cents. Uh, Eighty-seven percent of Americans still on economics are worried about inflation, and I only put this here because. And this is from who's this from? Da -da 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 -da. Visit website Axios. So a pretty serious uh, website. This survey seems to be genuine, and I say that is important because inflation is only inflation if people believe it is. I mean. That's when inflation starts to have an effect, when people actually believe it. And this last maybe two weeks, inflation talk is just all over the place. And, and you know, I've been following this for a while. I mean, ever since uh, really the coronavirus have been in the subsequent uh, uh, actions of the Federal Reserve and monetary policy of the U.S. government, I've been like, well, okay, so inflation is coming, but will it Will it actually show up? I mean, uh, and it won't show up until people start to call the bluff of the Fed and say, you know, I don't think you can, you can do anything about this. I think that you have doomed us all. And uh, once people make that uh, understanding that things are about to would probably get out of hand pretty quickly, and and I don't know what's going to happen. I really have no clue about what the financial future is. Are we going to lose the reserve currency? It would be really bad for America because that's all we got. That's all we do as Americans is is uh, consume things and not produce things. So our whole the whole economy of the world is basically based on America buying stuff from China. So anyway, uh, we'll keep an eye on that too. Moving on to just a couple things. I got one thing in the category of censorship, and this is an interesting one. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission files first case, first case under new COVID-19 Consumer Protection Act. Now, I don't know anything about this Con Consumer Protection Act, COVID-19, but apparently it's scary as all get out. Um, let me read this. The Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice have filed the first case under the COVID-19 Consumer Protection Act, a law passed by Congress in December 2020 that imposes financial penalties on violators. The action alleged that a Missouri chiropractor and his company violated both the new law and the FTC Act by deceptively marketing vitamin D and zinc products to treat or prevent COVID-19. So this guy, you know... Uh, Eric A. Neptune and his company QuickWorks LLC based in St. Louis promoted vitamin D as and zinc products under the Wellness Warrior brand. The complaint quotes excerpts from the defendant's ads, marketing emails, and videos, including claims conveyed on social media that Wellness Warrior products contained vitamin D will treat or prevent COVID-19 and that those representatives are scientifically proven. For example, the videos claim that COVID-19 patients who get enough vitamin, T, vitamin D are 50% 
2% less likely to die, and that people who get enough vitamin D3 have 77% less chance of getting infected in the first place. Now look, this this is crazy that that they're this is a nuanced claim, first of all. I mean, I've looked at these claims, and, and look, is it now going to be illegal if I tell you what I think I know about this? I mean, that's where we're at. This censorship is getting out of control, and it's all obviously big pharma and everybody that says anything except get a vaccine, get a vaccine, get a vaccine. The only way, period, the only way anything, anybody ever gets better, and nobody ever knows anything else, is to get a vaccine. But the nuance is that, yes, these numbers are basically correct if you understand it like, the 52% is about the outcomes. They noticed in clinical trials and studies of, you know, apparently blood serum of people that had COVID-19, that the people that had bad outcomes also had extremely low vitamin D levels. And so you could extrapolate that and say that it's possible that the reason that they did that, I mean, it seems to be so consistent across the board uh, that these claims were made and people are making these claims about not only treatment, but prevention and all these other things. You know, I, I linked a bunch of uh, scientific articles the last time showing essentially this thing. But the thing is that there wasn't, you know, a lot of clinical trials being done for obvious reasons. Nobody has the financial incentives to do it to say, well, let's look at that from the other direction. Uh, if we test you know, is that because they, if you have high vitamin D, does that actually make you less likely? Or is it just this anomaly that we're seeing that the people that don't do well with it uh, don't have uh, high vitamin D? I mean, you know, but as I say, there are a lot of other articles that I'm sure I'm not thinking of right now that I have quoted in the past. And I think I have linked in uh, uh, one of these uh, posts on BibleProphecyTalk.com that, uh, that talk about the you know, PubMed articles saying, look, vitamin, and, and again, COVID-19 is a relatively new thing, so there's not a lot of studies specifically about that, but there is a lot of studies about it, especially for things like colds and everything else, so, but this is huge, this is huge, a, a new, uh, a new thing happening, Federal Trade Commission says, you can't, you can't make claims like that about the COVID-19, and we're going to come get you now, I don't think this means you're going to go to jail, it did say financial penalties, but, you know, what happens if you don't pay the financial penalties? Do you go to jail? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. going to get out of hand uh, pretty quickly on that if that is a big deal. All right. It looks like most of the... Well, I got some other stuff after we get... We're going to go into a big thing of COVID news here. So, <clears throat> so that was a transition to some COVID news. <clears throat> we'll try to do this relatively uh, quickly here. The European Union asks states to back legal action against AstraZeneca. So AstraZeneca is a vaccine that exists primarily in Europe. It does not, it's not being sold in, in America. And so I just mentioned this one real quickly to say the European Union, everybody knows now, you know, AstraZeneca is bad. Of course, what they're saying is, you know, this incredibly, oh, it's not that bad. You know, they'll give you some stupid uh, idea about it. Uh, but yeah, it, they're asking for legal action. Again, I don't know if, if AstraZeneca was a part of the same thing that got immunity. Maybe that was just a U.S. thing. So something to keep an eye on. Yale public health professor suggests 60% of new COVID-19 patients have received the vaccine. And I've got another uh, one here about that. But basically, yeah. So 
people, he says 60% of the new COVID-19 patients. That, that, that to me is, is statistically significant. You know, you would expect it, if this thing is basically the testing is as nonsensical as I think it is, that that number would be relatively uh, even, you know, uh, basically more or less the number of people that have been vaccinated, um, you know, but here to see a pretty high number, 60%, according to this, um, this, uh, Yale public professor. And th- I should say this, uh, article is by, is global research by Dorothy Cummings. Uh, the Yale professor is Dr. Harvey Reich, R-I-S-C-H. And take it for it with a grain of salt. I'm seeing this is a, uh, the war room pandemic uh, is a guy, so who knows? But so it's probably, it's probably who knows what it is. But I've got lots of stories here that basically say, yeah, lots of people that have gotten the vaccine are still getting the shot. That's going to probably become a part of the narrative, I would guess. That you know, it just means it's working, or <laughs> I don't know what they'll do. But it's definitely cats out of the bag. How can you hide it, right? If, if unless they change the cycles on the PCR test drastically, uh, which I do think they did, uh, probably for the summer because they know the flu is going to be down in the summer, so they need their numbers to make sense. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, study study shows Pfizer and Moderna thirty times deadlier than AstraZeneca. Just in case you didn't hear that, study shows. Uh, Pfizer and Moderna, 30 times deadlier than AstraZeneca. Now, <clears throat> this is from, who did I get this from? I think it's an RT article, Russia Today. Uh, but this was qu- quoted from it from the European Union Times. Anyway, let me read a couple excerpts here. A potentially fatal blood clotting disease is 30 times more common among people who have received the COVID-19 vaccines produced by Mo- Moderna and Pfizer than those given uh, the troubled AstraZeneca jab researchers have found. A team of scientists from the University of Oxford has found that after vaccinating uh, AstraZeneca, uh, recipients were less likely to suffer potential vein thrombosis, blood clots in the artery from uh, the intestines to the liver. Now, I saw a chart on this. I don't have the chart here. But yeah, and this is based on a lot of the reporting because, of course, there is no statistical, there's no proof that that any vaccine has killed a person. I don't think, I think that's still the official line. No one has proven that anybody has died from a vaccine. In fact, that's all unproven. So all this is based on basically this self-reporting thing, which, by the way, it's got to be so bad if somebody did die. And look, uh, uh, yeah, some of them are probably coincidences, but I mean... As uh, uh, Andrew Hoffman on uh, uh, Revelations Radio News said, do you really think that all of them are coincidences or that no one has died? I mean, we've got thousands and thousands. I mean, unfortunately, we have to mostly uh, look at European. The European numbers are higher because, of course, there's less likely to be uh, throttled by Pfizer, although they all will as well. Anyway, my point is... Um, it's way higher. And I think I mentioned in the last podcast that another uh, article that basically said AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson are basically saying, Hey, why don't you Pfizer and Moderna also participate in this blood clot study? And Pfizer's like, nah, I don't think we're going to do that. It would hurt, uh, you know, the, the overall public good of, of, 
vaccine hesitancy if we were to participate in a study like that. By also, we pay so much money to these news organizations and whatever. We know we have cover for this, and it can all be about Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca. It's basically a criminal racket, in my opinion. Okay, <clears throat> uh, U.S. may soon reach tipping point on COVID vaccine enthusiasm. Put this one here because... Uh, Let's see, let's just read a couple excerpts. While timing may differ by state, we estimate that across the U.S. as a whole, we will likely reach a tipping point on vaccine enthusiasm in the next two to four weeks. Once that happens, efforts to encourage vaccinations will become much harder, presenting a challenge on reaching the levels of herd immunity that are expected uh, to be needed, the report said. So basically, this one is just in here to say, I don't think it's working as good as they want it to, and we'll never actually no, because the whole marketing campaign is about, oh, wow, everybody wants it. Oh, wow, look how happy everybody is to get it. Look, everybody's going to get it. So there's no incentive to actually report real numbers about who's getting it and who's not. So just put that in there for that reason. All right, moving on to does COVID vaccine affect your period? Survey launched after some report uh, changes to menstruation. More and more Americans receive their first or second doses of Pfizer or, or Moderna COVID vaccines every single day. Some people who menstruate uh, some people who menstruate are reporting changes to their periods after getting uh, vaccinated. Some people, not women, apparently. <clears throat> uh, Side effects are common and even important element of vaccine response. And bleeding patterns can be an important way to understand how immune systems are activated. The survey reads nothing. Uh, it asks about the timing of the vaccine menstru menstruation cycles. Anyway, let me give you the lowdown on what's happening here. So, first of all, I don't think they're getting their story straight here. There's another one here. Uh, this is from, uh, that was from NBC Chicago that I just read. There's another one. There's no solid evidence COVID-19 uh, vaccines cause menstru menstrual cycle changes. That doesn't mean it's impossible. So, they're hedging on it. But it seems clear to me that they are going to admit that it does, but the line is going to be that it causes these menstruation cycles because uh, patterns to change because of the trauma that you get from the vaccine. So they're saying, look, these vaccines, they cause a lot of trauma in your immune system. It just goes in there and, you know, causes all this trauma. And so this is a natural response to that. I don't think they're maybe calling it trauma they're calling it stress or something like that and so they're they're basically saying that just means it's working you know the, the i think you're going to say that right to the end right it just means it's working it just means it's working how dead are you oh, i mean of course you're gonna die it just means it's working but um which is actually i think the official line that they took on the uh, the elderly uh, people that died in the nursing home but anyway the, the then they'll follow that up and say if there's no evidence that it's hurting your ovaries. This doesn't mean it's going to have anything to do with infertility. It's not going to hurt the organs or the ovaries or whatever. But again, I think that's a non sequitur. I think that it doesn't follow that just because this doesn't hurt your ovaries means that it's going to be okay for uh, uh, pregnant women. And we'll talk about that here in a couple different things. Because if I understand it right, the concern is that this thing will attack the placenta, which is the sort of... Uh, way the early way that the the embryos and fetus and whatever gets nutrition from the host and if it attacks that it doesn't matter if it attacks your ovaries or whatever it's going to attack the placenta so yes so the the it, anybody that says that they know one thing or another about fertility first of all nobody knows we haven't had enough time that's all problem with this thing but anyway moving on 
Uh, and, and my sympathies to anybody who's pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant because it is a minefield. Let's see if I have any other information about that. I thought I had a couple more uh, things about um, pregnancy here, and I guess I don't. But, man, they're going hard on that idea. The, the, this is the line about pregnant people. First of all, they're, you know it's the old fact checkers coming out and debunking some ridiculous version of the events. And saying, there's no evidence that it's going to cause infertility. People are talking about microchips. You know, they'll go through the most extreme possible thing and say, there's no microchips causing infertility or whatever. But, yeah, there are concerns about infertility. And Lord knows we're not going to get any of the official numbers about it. But, you know, we're talking about... The, the, what. Here's a thing I wanted to kind of say overarching about this. The hardest thing about all this research is that it's so hard to get to the truth. And I'm pretty good at researching stuff online. And I used to be, always be able to get to the truth about things. But when, but when there's this collusion, almost universal collusion to just lie at the end of the rabbit hole, you know, usually you can keep digging and keep digging and keep digging. But it's hard when you get to the end and Google's not even providing you the information or any anybody and all the news you know, seems to be compromised. Basically, my point is that when they're willing to lie outright about a thing, for example, a good example of this, I think, is they didn't want hydroxychloroquine curing any COVID because they got a vaccine in the pipeline. So the World Health Organization in Oxford literally killed people in the two main studies, giving them more than the lethal dose of hydroxychloroquine, hundreds of people on their deathbeds, in order to say that it was unsafe and ineffective, that those two murderous studies uh, eventually became the reason why you and your 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 friend and family member Fred <laughs> um, believes that uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine is unsafe, despite the obvious fact that it is not unsafe um, <clears throat> and has been used basically like candy for the last 50 years, and it's been just fine. Uh, but all of a sudden now it's the most deadly thing in the world. Well, yeah, it is deadly if you in the hands of the world. And my point is, <clears throat> excuse me, that if they're willing to do that, then it's going to be real hard to get any good information from anybody if they're willing to just lie and kill to get this thing done. So it's hard to get good information. And with pregnant people in general, the articles that are out are saying, on the one hand, I mean, just it's just an onslaught of obviously paid articles saying, look, Get the vaccine. There's no evidence whatsoever that this is going to cause anything about infertility. There's That's crazy, complete conspiracy talk. So if a woman is like wanting to research online and she doesn't know the severity of this uh, uh, onslaught of news propaganda, she's going to be like, I did my research and it's safe. And then they can throw on this other sort of not real just nasty sort of things. Like it's, it's, it's so much more dangerous to get COVID. So all these new things about like, Stillbirths are going to happen if you get COVID-19. You're going to have a stillbirth if you get COVID-19. And for that, and look, I haven't looked into that as, as much, but but it doesn't seem likely, uh, especially because we're talking about, you know, I don't know. Who knows? I need to look into it too. But my point is they're scaring the pregnant women like crazy. And if this is a eugenics operation, which is a logical assumption, Bill Gates, who is the guy, I mean, Look, Pfizer is basically funneling the mon money into the media, They're, at least in America. 
Bill Gates is the one that has controlled the, the actual governmental health organizations by this tree of funding to basically do whatever he says. He basically has found a way to control the world health, not organization, but the entire world health apparatus just by funding places like the CDC, the World Health Organization, local health state officials and governmental things like, you know, go to Libya's health organization probably almost certainly gets their funding from, uh, the, you know, Bill Gates, basically. And if you can if you can make everybody just dependent on your money and they are also the authorities of a country's health organization, then, yeah, you're going to hear only what <laughs> the guy with the money says. And since... I mean, Bill Gates' father is extremely into eugenics, was, he just died recently, wanted to kill off the population, uh, Planned Parenthood, I don't know what he, I think he was one of the heads of Planned Parenthood, he, he was into eugenics even after it was illegal, made illegal in Europe. Anyway, long story short, that's a reasonable assumption to at least be a little bit scared of it. My point is, is that if, if eugenics is a part of this, you could expect it to be really pushed on the pregnant woman most of all. Time will tell. That's my bottom line in this. I don't know. Maybe it's all safe and everything else. But look, we just need... And, and I guess that's my ultimate point in this. They have forced us with this news propaganda to be reliant on things like this. You know, people... And podcasts are really all I can do. I mean, I'm so throttled in everything else I try to do. The social media, it's basically impossible at this point to get any information out to anybody. But they can't stop podcast catchers yet. Because 100% of the people who want to hear this podcast get it because it goes to their RSS feed. It's not throttled. It's not, uh, you know, algorithmed out. You just get it when I put it out. And so this is the only place that, places like this. And then also your local being able to hear somebody. I got a haircut yesterday, the, the, the haircut lady. I mean, she was a source for local kind of stuff. So it's the anecdotal stuff. You personally know people. And they don't want that to happen. I think part of the lockdowns, not all of it, is part is to keep people from... from Con comparing notes with each other at this point too so anyway moving on a couple of different things niece of bg's singer dies after the second covid shot mother furious that they keep pushing the vaccine cdc recommends covid19 vaccine during pregnancy that's the one i was talking about uh they are just all in now i mean how how nonsense of a thing to say and that's after anyway it may be true it may be true look i don't want to I'm not a doctor. I'm not the son of a doctor, but uh, but it pays to be prudent on these kind of things, in my opinion. This one type of social. And this is moving on to uh, health and food world food world order. Um, I've got a couple, three, four articles about just in general uh, poisons and stuff that we and I. And I think that, you know, also I'm going to talk about aspartame and I'm going to talk about cell phones and brain tumors and and all that stuff and. I should say that I am a bit of a hypocrite, and I really want to stop being a hypocrite. I want to at least go on a diet that is a no-poison diet. Uh, if I could just go on a no-obvious poison diet, I think I would be doing a little... I've got a lot of pounds to lose myself, but I can at least start with no poison. I think I might start it. Uh, if you want to start it with me, we'll go on a no-poison diet together. This one type of so uh, soda may increase liver cancer risk. New study suggests... Uh, and here they're talking about artificial sweeteners, aspartame, and that kind of thing. Uh, and they've just, they've, you know, it's it's been known forever, I mean, that aspartame causes cancer. I mean, right when it came out, there's a story about this, I've talked about it, there's a great documentary on this. 
It's old now. There's probably better ones out, but it's called Sweet Misery. Sweet Misery. And I mean, it's just crazy. And I know about that, and I still will get a Coke Zero from now. Oh, I get Coke Zeros most of the time if I'm eating out or whatever, which is crazy. I know it. And here is just another study. This is from uh, Public Health Nutrition. Two researchers, uh, Mun Sung Kwan, MD, PhD of Korea. So this is from Korea. Uh, the sub-analysis of the species types of cancer showed that the soda with artificial sweeteners raised the risk of liver cancer by 28%. Um, but yeah, brain tumors were also a big thing. Uh, and Donald Rumsfeld, of OU 9-11 fame, who was the Secretary of Defense during 9-11, before that, he got uh, was head of the company that released, uh, or the FDA, I think they put it in Reagan's administration, they put him as the head of the FDA, whose first order of business was to approve aspartame uh, in the face of obvious tumors all over the test uh, animals, uh, particularly brain tumors. And Donald Rumsfeld comes in and says, ah, approve it anyway. People at the FDA were like, uh, but the cancer's like, we'll just put a warning on it. Anyway, moving on. Webinar, cell phone brain tumor litigation, legislation barriers, opportunities. Who is this from? Children's Health Health Defense, uh, which is a sort of a, um, let's see what this says. The Defender reported last week on the new lawsuit filed by a family of Louisiana pastor, uh, of a Louisiana pastor alleging cell phone use caused the man's fatal gyoblastoma brain tumor. This is not the first case of its kind. There are more than 70 cell phone brain tumor cases in the U.S. courts. As the complaint filed last week demonstrates, there is ample evidence showing cell phones cause brain tumors and that the telecommunications industry has misled the public to believe that cell phones are safe. Um, so here's something if you didn't know. I mean, and I think that, look, I don't, I don't talk on the phone all day, every day. It's not part of my job or anything like that, thank goodness. But if I did, I would absolutely use a wired headphone. And I do use wired headphones to listen to podcasts and whatnot. Uh, and therefore, since I'm always listening to podcasts, whenever a call comes in, I'm usually talking to my wired he headphones. I don't even think I would use a Bluetooth headset or anything like that. Um, although I don't have any specific information about that, but I have heard people mention that also is not good. But holding it up to your head is really where the danger is because there's a very sort of tight window of radiation that happens with it. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, be aware. This one is from the Ice Age Farmer at a podcast, a couple of podcasts recently. Biden ends beef 90% reduction in red meat by 2030. This is a crazy plan, uh, but the way that Ice Age Farmer had uh, had phrased it is that if this goes through, then and it's not a, it's not a I don't know if it's a plan, I don't know if it's a law, I don't know what it, it was just an idea, a thing he said at a podium or whatever. But it would be like what one burger a month is I think what they're saying in any case there's a lot of stuff with this uh, that's just obvious uh, I don't know what to think of it I'll tell you what though I think that uh, I don't think that there will be I think they're going too far too fast with this and I think that the election stuff they've got everybody so scared and the corporations are now lining up to say look we're ready for the new system we'll be a part of this uh, they've all been waiting for, I think they've been waiting way long time. They got set back, not just by Trump, but set back even before that. This plan is behind schedule and they're moving it forward. And I think that they're, you know, climate changes, climate change exists 
to justify a world government. Because if you can say, wow, if, if we could only get all the world to do the same things, you know, and all the world to reduce their carbon thing or do this kind of car or whatever. But the problem is some states don't want to do it like that. And the problem is that some uh, countries don't seem to understand it. So it's just a way to get to globalism. My point is, is that I don't think there's going to be another Republican president ever. I think that the elections are pretty much rigged at this point and we got to go down this this road. And I do want to, there was a thing I figured I'd get to it eventually, but I do want to talk real quickly about um, my feelings about justice. And I always talk about this in the podcast, but I've got a new sort of perspective on it. As I mentioned, reading uh, this Gulag Archipelago book, a masterpiece, by the way, uh, by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He won a Nobel Prize. It's maybe the reason the, com- uh, the communist Russian government fell. Uh, people just didn't know that this is what it was was going on. It's, by the way, a huge book. The first volume, I'm listening to it in audio, is 21 hours, uh, and the other volumes are similar. So it's and it's by no means a a simple read. You got to want it. Uh, he is, by the way, a literary genius, and he actually makes it as uh, easy as it can be uh, because he is a little bit witty and and he does what he needs to do. But it's also whatever 60 hours long so but my point is is that he goes a lot in talking to the courts and there's just you have to get we have to get okay with the idea that justice and lies are just the part of it i think that we have to make the look i i think that we should do everything that we can to be salt and light and to hopefully present pre- preserve democracy you know for as long as we possibly can uh but when it does turn i think we need to just accept the idea that look they're gonna lie i mean can you imagine being in China right now in a house church, I mean, do you think that they get all that upset at some new crazy thing the communist, you know, state media says, which is obviously a lie and everybody knows it's a lie? Right now, I think we get so worked up on that because we're like, that is a lie. You cannot lie. That's not justice. Whatever. You know, we get mad at the injustice. We get mad at the obvious, uh, 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 you know, hypocrisy of everything. You know, your protesters, but not my protesters. It makes no sense. And and all this other stuff. But I think once you sort of just accept, look, it's done. They've got they've got this. And all the, the only thing that can stop a regime like that is is God and and all the different things that have to happen in order to bring down a regime like that, which is going to be extremely hard this time because they're so technologically advanced this time around and have so many tools at their disposal. I mean, look at China. And China's also been sort of beta testing the the way in which to do this in the modern era too so anyway uh not a great rosy outlook i admit uh moving on just a couple more stories here uh, i'll try to hit them really quickly i said i would get to some theology stuff and uh let me see if i can uh skip over some stuff to get to this uh just a couple things i wanted to mention about iran's population this is from mission network news He's talking about Iran has very a young population. Now these young people have become increasingly discouraged about the political and religious establishments in the country. Um, Rex Rogers of uh, Sat7 USA says, you're talking about a, a region where religion is often a tool of power. Those 35 and younger, 65% of an 80 million population, all... All they've ever known is the current system of religion as a tool of power. They don't remember the Shah. They don't remember any 
other freedom. So they're looking for a religion that works. They're looking for a faith that works. They're looking for hope, and the church provides that. But Iranian Christians can often feel isolated, unable to meet together in large groups of other believers. Um, anyway, uh, talking about satellite TV here and the importance of that in, uh, in, uh, in Iran. And I only put this here to kind of put Iran in perspective, especially in the Bible prophecy world. You know, they're always the big, huge, bad thing that, you know, is threatening Israel, and they are, and that's important, and we'll get into I didn't have a lot of Israel news. I have Israel as a major part of this <clears throat> podcast, but um, right now there's not a lot going on. There's some stuff, obviously, some rocket attacks and stuff, but I've got a lot to learn about that, too, and the nature of the current situation there. But my main thing here is to <clears throat> submit that, you know, like a lot of these Muslim countries, I think that the tipping point, too, is if there's a lot of evil and Christianity is there, and Christi you can't persecute Christianity for long. It's this pattern that happens that evil ends up falling when they persecute Christianity, and they usually turn into Christian nations. I think the future actual Christian nations of the world will be the nations that we currently see as enemies because they'll have a genuine, and you know, it'll take a while. Eventually they'll get corrupt too, if the Lord tarries and, and they'll turn into, you know, us, but, uh, you know, it's a cycle. <clears throat> Just a couple things here. I wanted to mention, uh, follow by, uh, Eschatos Ministries, Alan Kirshner's blog. He has a new Bible prophecy magazine and it's a physical magazine. I think it's an interesting idea. Subscriptions are now open to receive the magazine, something he's been working on. You can check it out. Uh, at his uh, at Eschatos Ministries or Alan Kirshner, just Google alankirshner.com or uh, Eschatos Ministries, and, and you'll see a link to that. <clears throat> uh, I didn't get to the UFOs. I had a thing here about that. My take on the UFOs <clears throat> and this current situation. I did a podcast about this recently on Bible Prophecy Talk, uh, where I went through the Tic Tac thing with the Navy thing, and that and and I've gone through a lot of the recent stuff. And my basic take on the UFOs, and maybe I'll get into this next time, is that they are mostly so far all fake. I mean, look, I've got I've got no reason to say they're not uh, either actual UFOs or government projects, both of which seem to be the main line, either that or Nephilim, some version of that thing going on. Uh, and I, I mean, I actually kind of would prefer to take it there if I if I needed to. But every time I've looked up one of these new things, it's just another sort of fake thing. The same thing that's going on for the last 20 years. I've been, some headline comes about some new UFO thing, and I'm, I'm ready to say, look, it's the U.S. military, or look, it's, uh, you know, demons or whatever. And each time I don't even have to go there because it's an obviously fake thing. If you look up the Tic Tac thing, uh, for example, it's this focus thing. It's a zooms in, which causes these right turns that are impossible for anybody to make and G-forces would kill you and it must be some government thing. Now, it's just some guy doing the zoom. and it, it, It's incontrovertible. Uh, you could probably find it on YouTube. <clears throat> Again, I would probably link it in the description if I was a good podcaster. <clears throat> anyway, uh, I'll probably talk more about that because it seems like a thing that's happening more and who knows what they're going to do with it. Psy up or not. Just real quickly on theology, and maybe I'll talk more about this kind of stuff. I posted on Twitter. My Twitter is uh, pre-wrath rapture about, I did a, uh, a Steven Crowder meme, you know, uh, change my mind meme. The blessed hope is eternal life. Uh, the blessed hope is eternal life, not the rapture. This seems to be, you know, this isn't even dependent on your rapture position, in my opinion. This is just good theology. 
that the blessed hope is talking about our being with Christ in eternal life. That's the and it's so central to Christian theology. And to call it the rapture and to say our blessed hope is the rapture, the appearing of Christ, and we're gonna we're gonna be good Christians because we want to wait for the rapture and the appearing of Christ, and that's how we're gonna remain. I mean, the the, the theology is that that's a, literally a part of sanctification. The blessed whatever the blessed hope is, it has to be a blessed hope for Peter who was beheaded. It has to or or crucified upside down, or Paul who was beheaded. It has to be a blessed hope for all the Christians that died today in the Middle East. It has to be a blessed hope for, uh, and you could say, well, that blessed hope is they'll get resurrected, so their blessed hope is the rapture. But in that case, the theology of the pre-tribulationalism is that the reason why it's a blessed hope is it keeps you from sinning or whatever. No, their their walk is done. It's a blessed hope for them is because they'll be resurrected to life. And I I, I mentioned not only the uh, part in the uh, recent uh, documentary that I did, Seven Preacher Problems and the Pre-Wrath Rapture, but I also mentioned these verses. Romans 2, 5 through 7, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58, Galatians 6, 8 through 9, 2 Timothy 4, 8, 2 Peter 3, 11 through 15, 1 John 2, 28, 1 John 3, 23, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. This is not a minor uh, a doctrine. The blessed hope is eternal life. It is not the rapture. The reason that they can get away with it by quoting a couple verses about it is because, yeah, there are a couple times in which Paul talks about it in relationship to the rapture, the resurrection, but only because the re- resurrection is the very moment that we start our eternal life. I mean, if you read it in that context, it's quite obvious that he's just talking about eternal life, but in a couple instances, he mentions it in relationship to the rapture because that is the moment our eternal life begins. But uh, anyway, just wanted to do that, and I think I'll wrap it up there. Um uh, quickly, I wanted to say about podcasting 2.0 and what I'm trying to do with the podcast. Uh, I think my initial thing here is that I'm moving the podcast to a different host, a safer host. That is my initial step here, and we'll kind of go from there. I've recently been sort of discouraged about the IPNS, IPFS, the Interplanetary File System, because somebody had mentioned, well, if the domain name situation goes down, I can, then what happens to IPFS? I mean, it's still basically relying on ICANN as much as it is decentralized. Um, so I was like, oh, well, yeah, I guess that's a good point. So anyway, I got some other ideas about it. I'll uh, hopefully talk more about it as it becomes more fleshed out. But uh, So that's where I'm at with that. Uh, still, at this point, a producer would be good. What I would mainly want one for is to basically kind of upload the new podcast and to take the video portion of the podcast and to get it in as many places as possible. Mostly, though, uh, I think that I would be just primarily on BitChute and these decentralized video platforms. At the end of the day, I think the best way to be bulletproof right now is to just be in as many places as possible, and that's just not something I have time to do. Uh, So that is what I would... It would be a, uh, a paying gig... If you are interested in doing it, uh, probably not much, but you know, uh, something. So let me know if you are interested, you can, uh, email me. I probably won't get back to you, but you can email me anyway. Uh, Chris white 79 at protonmail.com. You can also donate at, uh, you know, donate crypto in your crypto wallet at chriswhite.crypto, or go to BibleProphecyTalk.com to the donate button there. Thank you very much. 